Welcome back, dear listeners, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod, and it is grand final time. It's that special time of the year. It's like the lead up into Christmas, and all the kids are excited, ready to unwrap their presents under the tree. The cats and swan supporters all around the world are just so excited for Saturday, um, counting down the moments to it. One of whom joins me today as my co-host for this episode, Fraser Douglas, See your swan scarf draped over your door uh, or over your window, excuse me, I should say, and your swan's cap as well, mate. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me, mate. It's uh, it's good to be back. I feel like a bit like uh, Marlon Pickett. I've hardly played all <laughs> year in the ones, and um, here I am on grand final show. So thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I know we're both on the swan side of things, so hopefully we can kind of give a bit of positive energy out there and um, try and get them over the line. So, yeah, fingers crossed, and, um, yeah, thanks for having me, mate. It's good to be back. Always, always, always a pleasure to have you on, mate. Um, as soon as the swans, as soon as the swans won on Saturday, I knew that I had to have you on for this episode. Um, <laughs> let's discuss, before we get into the grand final, let's first discuss the prelims. There was a shellacking and there was a thriller. I want to ask you, right, we'll discuss, each give our thoughts about why the Cats and the Swans won and why the Lions and the um, and the Magpies lost. Let's start off with Friday night. It was a comfortable, comprehensive Geelong victory, um, just their second prelim final victory since 2011, but it was by far the most comprehensive Geelong finals victory since probably the 2007 grand final, truth be told. That was an unbelievable performance from them from about midway through the second quarter onwards. Um, I want to ask you, what did Geelong do really, really well in this game? Why did they win? And also, I'll ask you, why did Brisbane lose? Um, Geelong, for mine, if they can control uncontested possessions, mm. um, you really can't beat them. Um, they're five and four on the year when their opposition um, delivers a pressure rating of 180 plus. Brisbane can get anywhere near that. It really felt like Brisbane played their grand final the week before. They yeah. completely dominated uncontested possessions, which is when we know, we know their backline, how it patrols. Um, if they've got their hands on the ball, you are going to struggle to score. And that's exactly what happened to Brisbane. Um, the Cats are one and four when they lose the uncontested, uncontested possessions. So that's kind of a bit of a stat that I'm kind of looking at at this game. And I'm sure we'll kind of touch on it again shortly. Um, against Brisbane, they won that number by 53. So, I mean, Geelong went all over them. Brisbane were not up for the fight at all. It felt mm-hmm. like, as I mentioned, it felt like they really did play their grand final the week before, which was an awesome win. But at the same time, it's still a really tough finals exit for them, similar to the year before. Obviously, it wasn't straight sets. They still had two finals wins, credit to them. But I wouldn't call it a, a raging success in the end. But um, mm-hmm. they've still got some stuff to work on, which I'm sure we'll touch on shortly. But um, yeah, credit to Geelong. Um, but yeah, uncontested possession. Um, that's going to be a big stat um, going forward, especially on, on, on grand final day. So I'm interested to talk a bit more about that shortly. I like it. I like it. For me, Geelong, it's interesting, right? Two of their most impressive wins this year, prelim margin-wise, prelim final 71 points, and then when they beat North Melbourne earlier in the year by over 100 points, both games, Dangerfield scored the first goal within a minute. So for me, he is, without a shadow of a doubt, the barometer of Geelong. If he performs really well, kicks a goal early on, has 25 to 30 disposals in a game, they aren't going to lose. But for me, and it's one thing that multiple commentators have, have noted throughout the season, and I'm finally coming around to this now, is how well they move the ball. 
because beforehand they would get they would move it slowly, inevitably turn it over, and they across their um defensive half of the ground, and they, they would find it difficult to move the ball against really really speedy fast opponents. But they just carved the Lions to shreds. They looked like they were a bunch of 25-year-olds, not a bunch of 35-year-olds. That's how well they were playing. Um, and for me, it's, it, it was a really balanced performance from their older players, Selwood, Dangerfield, Hawkins, Cameron, but also their younger players as well. And you're really starting to see the, the benefit of the development of the likes of um, Zach Guthrie, as well as his brother Cam Guthrie, obviously a superstar at Geelong already. Um, but just an unbelievable, unbelievable balance of youth and experience at Geelong, and it's been incredible. As for Brisbane, their barometer is locking Neil and has been for quite a long time, which in and of itself is not a bad thing. But what is unfortunate is that when he is well held, there's almost it's almost as if there's no one else for Brisbane um, in that midfield. So the week before, Simon Goodwin was heavily criticised, rightfully so, for taking that tag off of Lockie Neal in the second half, and Lockie Neal went absolute gangbusters. Geelong hounded, harassed, and bullied Lockie Neal on Friday night. I think it was his lowest disposal count of the season. And, yeah, as a result, they couldn't get anything started. So for me, Brisbane, their forward line is, is really dangerous. But their midfield is just such a disappointment because as soon as you take Lockie Neal out of it, no one else stands up. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, they didn't have the thing with Brisbane this year is they weren't. It's not like they had a lot of adversity. Mm. Um, they ranked best in the league. They had just fifty-eight games lost to injury throughout the home and away season. It's clearly by a long stretch the fewest among any team in the comp. Um, you feel like I get the feeling that they're still missing a bit of leadership. Mm. Um, Zorko, um, when he's your captain, you're probably not in the best areas in that regard. We saw what happened with um, him and Petty. That was obviously a bit of a bit of a crook one. Um, who needs to add more to that now at this point? Um, the Lions, I mean, I think there's still reason for optimism. You've obviously got um, Dunkley, who's nominated them in the last in the last few days, but and obviously Ashcroft as well, the father's son. But yeah. um. At the same time, at the same time, the leadership isn't there. So there's got to be there's got to be room for some sort of improvement to come, and whether they can get that, I'm not so sure. You've got to find that leadership still. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think Siri sounds like she's she agrees with you as well. She agrees. Oh yeah, she's yeah. always on my side. Yeah, absolutely. Got to love Siri. Um, on to for me, what do you think Brisbane need to do, kind of moving forward? Like, how do they improve next year? Hmm. It's a tough one. I mean, I kind of just, I kind of touched on it then. They obviously looks like they're going to lose McStay. I mean, it's not, an, it's obviously not an old team. And we've obviously seen the, the news regarding um, Chris Fagan in the last 24, 48 hours. So mm -hmm. we'll see what comes of that. Who knows? We might see a coaching change. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, for mine, the leadership aspect is, is a strong thing. So whether they make a captaincy change in the off season, I would think I would think that would be likely. Mm. Um, hopefully, they can still continue to consolidate that midfield. Um, if you get an Ashcroft and a Dunkley in, that's obviously going to happen. So, there's still reason for optimism at Brisbane, but yeah, there's there's a lot there's still a long way to go. You don't feel like they 
they were they were really in it, if you know what I mean. They did well. They were probably lucky to beat Richmond. They definitely were. They they got the they had the edge over Melbourne in the end. They probably deserved to win that, but they could have well been out in the first week of the finals, and then we wouldn't be having this conversation at all. Agreed, agreed. I I I, I agreed with Jonathan Brown when he said that they weren't a prelim final team this year. Like they were, but they 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 weren't really. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It's all leadership. It's all between the ears. You know, for me, Brisbane. Port Adelaide for quite a while were criticised as downhill skiers, and for me, that's that's what Brisbane are. You know, yeah. things are for not when things are going their way. Brisbane, they look like the two thousand and one to two thousand and four Brisbane Lions, like that invincible uh, team that looked like they were going to win the premiership every single season and nearly did. But when an opponent challenges them, they fall apart, and all of a sudden, you go to the dark days of like the back end of the Lee Matthews era into like the Justin Le- Michael Loss, Justin Lepage era um, of their coaching. So for me, I don't know, their gap between their best and their worst is, is, is ridiculous um, and it needs to improve. They need to stop getting smashed. They got hammered by Melbourne twice. They got demolished by Geelong. If they can lessen the gap between their best and their worst mm. while lessening the load on Lockie Neal, Sure, it might de- decrease his chance of winning the Brownman medal, but I think it will increase the chance of Brisbane winning the Premiership next season. Yeah. On to the Sydney Swans and Collingwood. From six goals up, the Swans nearly stuffed it up, but it's nevertheless the first SCG prelim final since 1996, technically meant that now the last two SCG prelim finals, there's been a one-point margin in both of them it's been an unbelievable uh a long a long wait and an unbelievable game of football on saturday Forty-five thousand people so a healthy contingent of collingwood supporters but what a game of footy it was what an unbelievable game of footy how did you see it mate why did the swans come out on top and why did collingwood stuff it up it was a cracking game um I caught I caught most of it on the on the backside of a of a long day at work, but um, mm. I still still thought it was as you mentioned a, a really good game of footy. Um, obviously the Sydney Swans jumped Collingwood early, um, and that's very when you, when that happens to you in a prelim, you're in a obviously in a put yourself in a dangerous position. Mm. Um, Collingwood and Sydney were the best two pressure sides all season, and you kind of saw that for really most of the game. Obviously, it was a kind of a bit of a a seesawing affair. Sydney jumped out early. Collingwood kind of pegged him back and Sydney got going in and so on and so on. And then obviously Collingwood finished with a flurry at the end. Um, credit to them. Obviously, they didn't quite get over the line, but um, it's not like you can be disappointed with Collingwood's um, season or effort in that game. Um, it was a, yeah, kind of as I pointed to, it was a bit of a battle of pressure. Sydney's pressure was, was awesome until that last 15 or so minutes where Collingwood started to um, crank theirs right up and they couldn't quite hold on. They kind of lost their legs a bit, the Swans. Um, but they'd done enough work early, only just. But that one point proved uh, proved vital, as we all know. Um, one stat I saw, when Sydney put out a pressure rating of 180 or more, they're 10-1 and one this season. And they did that against Collingwood. So that kind of goes to show that um, when that pressure is there, even if when there is a lull, period like there was at the end of the game they're going to be very hard to beat so yeah impressive um Collingwood um obviously hard to deny that there isn't some sort of um really bright future there 
Um, but you can't um, you can't let a team jump you like that in a prelim, especially away from home. 36 points down in the third quarter. The fact that they got within a point is um, unbelievable. So that's a credit to the team and um, obviously the coaching staff. Um, but yeah, you just can't fall behind by that much, um, yeah. especially in a in a in a prelim away from home. So they just left themselves a little bit much to do and just fell short, unfortunately. I fully agree with you. That start made all the difference. And by the way, right, I'm sick and tired of hearing Collingwood supporters, right, talk about that Papley, that Papley mark. Oh, he pushed him in the back. He pushed him in the back. Oh, it wasn't a mark. He dropped it. He dropped it. Look, right, there are about 70 to 80 decisions made every single game, right, including whether or not to blow the whistle. And maybe about five to 10 of them are iffy, could go either way, right? If you are in a position where you lose, right, by less than a goal, when you gave up the first four or five of the match, I'm sorry, you cannot blame the umpiring for that. How about showing up at the start of the game instead of 20 minutes into it? When you're the interstate team playing, well, especially if you're a Victorian team playing interstate, but even if you're an interstate team playing in Victoria, the thing is you've got to take it the home crowd out of it because it's such a big advantage and the Swans fans were absolutely up and about and so for me Collingwood they they played with fire all season coming from massive deficits and it worked out really well for them but it cost them two finals wins so for me an incredible year comes to an end going forward they've got to learn how to play four quarters of footy learn how to play four quarters of footy and learn how to comfortably beat teams as well, instead of just narrowly beating them. Because you you will not finish inside the top four again with a percentage of like 103. That's not going to happen. That happens like once, once in 100 years. It's not going to happen, right? Just got to improve your winning margins on average, improve um, being in front. I think they're only in front for like 40% of their matches that they've won, which is incredible. Mm-hmm but maybe stop giving your fans heart palpitations and then you might actually have a chance of, of winning the premiership next season. What do you reckon? Yeah. Oh, it's, it would have been anxiety on top of anxiety for Collingwood supporters this year. And I'm sure there's, there's probably, a, probably not much, but maybe like 0.1 of a percent that's glad the ride's over. Cause imagine if they'd made a grand final, you already know it would have been an absolute, uh, uh, a close one. It would have been intense. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I kind of touched on it. Hard to deny Collingwood's got a uh, really bright future. Um, I watched the uh, post-game. McRae said that he really feels strongly that they've laid a foundation for sustained success, which is obviously such a such an effort off in his first year at the helm. Um, the fact that they've been able to go from where they were to a whisker away from a grand final berth and who knows what they could have done against Geelong. We saw how close they got in their qualifying final, um, full credit to them. And um, I think there'd be plenty of optimism among Collingwood supporters and and the playing group and the coaching staff. Um, Personnel-wise, in terms of moving forward, that's my my one kind of bugbear with Collingwood. They've obviously been heavily linked to Dan McStay and I saw Bobby Hills um, put them forward as his um, desired um, trade location, but... Um, that's the kind of post I could see um, McStay filling. They need that kind of another more consistent forward. 
Um, they've obviously had some success with Ash Johnson in the back half of the year. My check's been inconsistent. Um, Elliot's obviously been, um, he'd had, he had a really good year. Um, they've had Ginnivan pop up from time to time. Oscar Elliott's obviously an interesting one. He's always around about maybe one goal every couple of weeks. So it's like, do we we? There's probably another level to definitely go to in terms of that. In terms of that forward line, the midfield's in a strong place, definitely strong enough to contend. We've seen them match it with Sydney, um, blow Fremantle away, and uh, go really close with Geelong there. Um, so it's then it's if they can get a forward in, in the form of mixed day. Um, maybe they need and uh, also need a key defender, someone to help support um, your Darcy Moores of the world. Um, obviously, I, I remember Braden Maynard starting on Franklin. We all saw him trying to wipe the oil off um, or the grease off um, Buddy's Buddy's arm there. That was quite amusing, and they were into it early, and they had to they had to move him off him because he. I think Maynard was almost kind of losing his cool. Mm. Um, and then you end up with Jeremy Howe on Buddy, and like that's, I mean that's fine. It's not like um, Franklin tore the game apart, but I just don't think that's sustainable when you're coming up against the top line um, forward um, groups of the competition when you come up against like a Sydney or a Geelong or mm. maybe a Melbourne, depending on how many pe- people leave them this, this off season. So um, there's some clear room for improvement in terms of personnel in the off season for Collingwood. And mm. I, I mean, if they're getting a mixed day and if they're getting a heel and maybe they can get one more piece to help them down back, I think they'll be um, right amongst it next year. That's for sure. No, mate, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, the teams have dropped for the AFL Grand Final, which we, we discuss when we discuss the Grand Final towards the back half of the episode. But needless to say, there's been a couple of very interesting decisions made uh, across both teams. Um, mm. I want to ask you, what was your favourite moment? I mean, I know your favourite moment was the final siren on Saturday. But aside from that, what was your favourite moment from the weekend? Um. I, when I was at work, I'd say my favourite moment was the way that Sydney started. Mm. Um, I was in the back, it was in the back room. I could kind of see um, a bit of a Swans um, domination. And I was trying to, I was trying to kind of keep my, my mind on the job. And there was a few people in the office at the same time. They were like, what is this idiot doing? And, um, <laughs> my apologies to them. But um, when, you, when you jump out to a lead like that in a, in a prelim, I mean, you can't really help yourself, can you? So I was, I was audibly excited and uh, obviously from that point, it was extremely stressful and even, yeah, I literally was thinking about this. Um, my favourite moment, definitely the siren, but mm. close second was um, jumping them and being all over them early and that felt good and it felt like, hang on here, we might be, we might be on uh, onto a comfortable win into a grand final. Boy, was I wrong and they almost rolled us. So that was extremely stressful and uh, I'm on heavy medication now. <laughs> I like it. I like it. For me, um, I'm going to go a bit different. I'm not going to mention a Swans moment. It's that mark that Paddy Dangerfield took inside mm. the opening 20 seconds. Um, I, think, it, I think it was Damien Barrett who mentioned the fact that it was an underrated mark because, you know, it, it was uncontested in the end. But he was going back with the flight of the ball, completely eyes full of footy, had no idea what was coming the opposite direction. Turns out it was no one, but it could have been, you know, it could have been two or three players coming his way. And um, knowing how brave he was, he still would have stood his ground and would have absolutely gotten piled into. So, no, great moment and set the tone for what was a great night for Geelong. Now, on to the next main talking point. Talked about Brisbane. We talked about Collingwood. 
Let's just briefly, briefly touch upon the other four teams who were in the finals, didn't make the grand final. Want to ask your opinion. What do they need to do before next season in order to improve um, from their finish in 2022? We'll start off with the semifinal losers, Fremantle and Melbourne. What do you reckon? Um, I'll kick off with Melbourne. Um, could you say Premiership hangover? I think so. Um, they obviously fell apart in the back end of the year. Um, there's all sorts of rumours about um, players um, potentially leaving. Obviously, Luke Jackson being at the front of that list, um, potentially or almost definitely at this point, I would say, going to going back home to the West. Um, but it's not like there was a mad exodus, like wanting out. It's not like there was a mad um, um, strain on their salary cap or anything like that. They didn't get a crazy amount of injuries in the end. It was just kind of, it just kind of felt like the, it just wasn't all there this year. Um, I think there's um, still plenty of room for optimism if you're a Melbourne supporter, but hopefully there isn't some sort of crazy um, player exodus in the off season. We'll see. I'm sure this trade period will be as crazy as ever uh, as they always are these days. But at the same time, um, it's still a good enough list that should contend and I'm, I'm sure will contend because um, their best, Melbourne's best footy is still probably in the top two or three in the, in the competition. It's just whether they can do that. They have a habit of starting games extremely well. We saw that in the grand final last year and we saw that all through this year. And then well, I think almost all the games they lost this year, they led, uh, I think, half time and lost. So it shows that they, they know how to start games they just don't know how to finish them, kind of similar to what um, Sydney um, were like on the weekend. They obviously jumped Collingwood early and almost got done, whereas I'm sure if that was Melbourne, they probably would have capitulated. Um, and uh, we'd, we'd be seeing Collingwood in the grand final instead. So um, plenty of work to do in the off-season for Melbourne. Um, Premiership hangover, the term the term definitely lives on in, that, in their case. And it's probably, in a sense, a bit of a wasted year because... Um, you might see, you may well see players from Melbourne um, starting to leave now. Um, obviously, we're going to see Jackson most likely, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's a few more out the door as well. We've seen them linked to Brody Grundy. I'm not sure how that um, is going to is going to function with with Max gone. Um, that'll be extremely interesting if that if that goes through. They've been linked to someone like a Rory Lobb, um, so I'm kind of interested to see what happens there. Um, in terms of off-season moves, but it'll be interesting to see whether they can reload and go again because the talent is still there. It's just whether the want is. What are you thinking about Melbourne, mate? Are you still high on them? Yeah, I'm still high on them. I mean, it's it's the the hunger should be there stronger than it was this year because I kind of think that it's really difficult and history shows the fact that it is very difficult to back up a drought-breaking premiership with another premiership the year after that. I mean, Collingwood took 20 years after winning in 1990 to win their next flag. Richmond stuffed up the prelim final in 2018. Um, sorry, the Swans 2006 grand final. The Cats, <laughs> the, the Cats 2008 grand final. Yeah. Um, it's extremely, the Dogs, I mean, they missed the finals in 2017 and 2018. Only got back to the granny five years after winning in 2016. So it's extremely difficult to back up when you have a drought-breaking premiership um, with more premiership success. Mm. With all that being said, I think for me, 
it shows the fact that they can no longer play as a team of individuals, which they have done this year, right? It's not like basketball where you can rely on one or two really, really brilliant players to lift up a substandard team. And it's not like American football where you have like the quarterback who, yeah, sure, it's a team game, but it's the quarterback that will make or break a team, right? AFL, you've got 22 players and they all need to play their role. And that's what Melbourne did really well in 2021. And that's what they failed to do since round 11 this season. So for me, I think it was a steep learning curve for the Demons this year. As for Fremantle, mm-hmm. I think they just need to keep doing what they're doing. Yeah. Truthfully, I really like what they're doing. They'll learn. It was a really good learning experience um, playing Collingwood at the MCG and how overwhelmed they got away from Perth. Yeah, they learned, you know, what is required to win finals at the MCG in September. And what a great, what a great learning curve that will be. Losing David Mundy will hurt a lot, but I think gaining Jackson, especially if you trade out Love, that's a great plus for Fremantle because I think Jackson just adds so much dangerous um, talent to that midfield. Um, mm-hmm. I'm excited about Fremantle next year. I'm very excited. On to, very briefly, Richmond and uh, the Western Bulldogs. For me... I don't know what's happened to the dogs. I mean, on paper, it's the best midfield probably since the Geelong Premiership era, 2007 to 2011. But in practice, they just get beaten up around the contest so easily. They get beaten up on the inside, got beaten up on the outside. It's so disappointing. And their forward line just failed to fail to function, really. Granted, part of that was through injury and suspensions. But still, even when you had Norton, Bruce, and um and Bailey Smith playing all in the same game. They they never looked likely of scoring a, a hefty score. I don't know what's happened. They went from one of the highest scoring teams in 2021 to being mediocre. Mm. So I don't really know what they need to do to improve. Um, but it feels like just from the outside looking in, there's there's got to be something happening behind the scenes to cause them to go from a grand final to barely making it inside the eight and giving up a six goal to nil head start. Yeah, tough, tough for the um the dog supporters. You go, it pairs well with your point that it is hard to back up after making a, a having a um drought breaking premiership um as mm-hmm. we saw with them, um, much to my chagrin. Uh, but um yeah, they've it just felt like a bit of a wasted year, and it kind of it's kind of felt like that almost since they won won the flag. They've obviously had plenty of success since, but nothing monumental in terms of going deep in final series and this is still a really good team my question mark um is there is their back line obviously you spoke about how strong their midfield is on paper and um they still have their struggles as you mentioned getting um out out physical in the contest if you if i can put it like like that um we saw like alex keith getting dropped there was just like no stability down back we've seen um, Eugle Hagen obviously took a step in the back half of the year. I, I caught his game um, live when he when he tore Melbourne to pieces. That was that was really impressive. So there's there's good signs there. Um, Sam Darcy um, he had he had a couple of good moments um, as well after he debuted in the la- latter part of the year. So it's not like there's no there's not like there's no talent, um, but at the same time there's still an expectation on this list. It's not like they're going to come into next year and. Everyone's going to be writing them off. Everyone will be thinking once again, they'll be around that 
seven to 10 mark. And if they fail to deliver there, then there starts to be real pressure on their coach, I would have thought. Yep, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, as for Richmond, for me, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I like for Richmond did for most of the year, but unlike Collingwood, they just got to work on their close finishes. Yeah. You know, they really do. The Hardwick talked about Richmond beating Richmond, and that's exactly the case. It was like they it was like they did all the hard work. It was like somebody getting dressed, right? Managed to get in themselves dressed, get out of bed, have a shower, brush their teeth, you know, eat their food, blah, blah, blah get dressed for work, and then all of a sudden they slip as they're walking to the car. Like, you've done all the hard stuff, now got the easy stuff, and you stuff that up. That's exactly what they've done this year, multiple times, Richmond. The Noah Anderson 40-point choke against Gold Coast, losing to North Melbourne because you can't defend a, a, a forward 50 stoppage contest. Right? You want to talk about goal review controversy. How about the one of the five Richmond defenders punch the blooming thing through for a behind easy how about noah cumberland doesn't play on or yeah. how about i memory with noah bolter how about bolter actually kicks the footy before his 30 seconds are up mm, that's a good point yeah there's been some tough moments for the tigers fans this year and um obviously they've been heavily linked to a couple of uh gws midfielders that'll be uh uh, a bit of confidence building there at uh, Tigerland if, they're a man if they manage to land both of them. Um, so it's not like I'm thinking Richmond's going to fall off the face of the earth next year, but they are they are a year older. They've had a couple more retirements this year, obviously. Edwards, Lambert, to name a couple. Um, so they're in, a, they're in an interesting place, Richmond. They're kind of halfway between going young and halfway still holding on to the, um, the, the form premiership players of of the last five years. So there's a, they're in an interesting um, position at the moment, the Tigers, and hopefully they can reload because when they're playing good football, it's a great brand to watch. And um, it's really enjoyable for uh, uh, any fan, I would have thought. Um, so fingers crossed on my end that they are, they are able to bounce back after a, what was probably a disappointing year, all things considered with how many close games they stuffed up. And I mean, they lost to North Melbourne for crying out loud. So it's plenty, plenty of issues there. So um, they've got, they've got some, they've got some things to work on the off season. I think that's putting it mildly. Absolutely. Now let's get on to some of the major talking points off field before we get into the grand final preview itself. First off, Patrick Cripps now a Brownlow medalist. Very controversial. I still think he should have been his suspension should have been upheld um, after that bump on Kalamachi. Managed to nab it from Lockie Neal with uh, with the last game that was called out. Very dramatic. Um, I want to ask you, Fraser, mm. what were your thoughts when you when you learnt that Patrick Cripps had won? Interesting one, yeah. Obviously, with the what was originally a suspension, and it felt like it was going to be after it was they appealed and it was upheld, and obviously then they went again and obviously got it um, overturned. Um, Obviously, a deserving, deserving premier, um, Brownlow medalist, I should say, um, had an amazing year. Um, good to see him back to his best after a, a probably a, 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 I don't know, a subpar year um, at his standards um, the year the year prior in season twenty twenty one. So that was I was wrapped with that in a sense that um, he was able to be rewarded. Um, obviously, playing for Carlton, you don't get much reward. So. Um, so that was that was pleasing to see. It's an interesting one with the um, obviously there's always going to be outcry with a with a player who wins 
um, at Brownlow when they were originally suspended and had something overturned. And uh, obviously there was back and forth both way in that regard. Um, in my mind, it's not like you can't really hate. It's not like you can say he's not he's not deserving. It's more that our um, um, like match review panel in terms of suspensions and that kind of thing just needs needs it still needs major work. Um, that's the that's the point to make for mine. Um, the fact that the fact that um, a panel eventually overturned that shows that there's um, obviously major um, errors or issues with the system that we've got at the moment. And I also think at the same time, if say he was suspended and it stayed that way, I feel like there is nothing worse than a Brownlow medalist who probably should be a Brownlow medalist that was suspended and missed out. There's, that makes me, ugh, it makes me shudder just thinking about, I can't imagine being that kind of, being a player would be the highlight of, Oh, definitely a highlight of your career, if not the best moment of your career, um, probably in the case of Crips, um, definitely at this point in time anyway. Um, yeah, so it's a, t it's a really hard one when you've got so many um, intricacies. We've got the match review and we've got lawyers being brought in. Carlton's all-time great lawyer. Um, if you ever need to get off after hitting someone with a car, probably give him a call. Um, he seems to know what he's doing, so... Yeah, there's plenty going on there, but yeah, that it still makes me it makes me shudder thinking about um, winning a Brownlow and then getting being suspended and you having and you sitting probably sitting at that table, and then everyone's looking at you and you're like, yeah, probably shouldn't have done that. It would be it would be the worst feeling in the world. Yeah. Like, for me, I don't know. I mean, look, right, completely diverted, and you mentioned you know him him almost winning the Brownlow back when Carlton were absolutely a dumpster fire. He, he got 20 votes when they won two games. Like that's how good he was, right? A couple of lean years the last couple of seasons. But an unbelievable player, and I would say it was well-deserved if it wasn't for that bump, yeah. if it wasn't for that bump. And the fact it is such a stupid system where a player can try to appeal at once. Yeah, sure, you could try to appeal at once. But if that appeal fails, that should be it. Like it, you've tried it, the appeal has failed. The fact that he managed to appeal it a second time and that got overturned, I still don't understand what was different between the first appeal and the second appeal that got the second appeal successful and the first one wasn't. That to me is mind boggling. Um, and for me, in my mind, he was a deserving winner, but at the same time, I think Lockie Neal got robbed. Agree. Now, on to the um the somber news out of Hawthorne mm. um the report the internal report as um reported by the ABC um into allegations of um racism and racial misconduct against three indigenous players um and that's what we know so far that's what we know. There's at least three players who have made yeah. these allegations. And they are extremely, extremely upsetting and extremely disappointing. Mm -hmm. Tony Armstrong said it best when he said that his thoughts were with other First Nations people. Obviously, it's a very, very, very difficult time, I can imagine, for First Nations people around Australia, especially um, if they're footy fans. And for me, it's, 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 it's mind-boggling just reading some of the allegations. 
it it it's mind-boggling to think that this kind of thing might have happened back in the 1900s or the 1800s. It's mind-boggling that this has happened this century. Like I thought we were past this stuff as 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 a as a country, as a society. I thought we collectively decided that we weren't going to be terrible, terrible, terrible people to Indigenous people anymore. And we're going to start treating Indigenous people better. I thought that that's what we were going to do. And, you know, I saw a stat which was very interesting. And I'm, I'm not 100% certain if it's true, but if it is, then it is alarming. And it is the fact that uh, Chance Bateman, drafted in, I think, 2000 or 2001, mm. was the first Indigenous player since, like, the 60s to play at Hawthorne. So you think of all the great Indigenous talent that came through the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the Cracker Brothers, um, uh, uh, Morris Rioli, Gavin Wanganeen, uh, Michael Long, Michael Lachlan, Adam Goods, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Andrew McLeod. All these great players, Hawthorne, no Indigenous players at all during that stretch, which is mind-boggling. Mm. Added to all this, the allegation of the comment that Jeff Kennett supposedly made um, to Sirioli's partner, and it paints a horrible picture of a football club that prides itself on being the family club. That's what they call themselves, the family club. Um, you know, we're a happy team at Hawthorne. We're the, we're the family club. We look after, we look after our own, we look after each other. Um, that is clearly a load of rubbish. That's clearly not true. Um, and for me, I would go as far, I agree with what Caroline Wilson said, I would go as far to say that those premierships are tainted. If this is what got them, if this is what contributed to them, then yeah, they're tainted. This is one of the worst scandals to hit the game. I mean, it's right up there with the Essendon drug scandals. It's way worse than any salary cap cheating that's been done. It is right up there with the worst scandals in the game. Mm. What were your thoughts about it? Couldn't agree more, mate. Um, obviously, shocking um, allegations. Um, the first I heard of it, I saw a story, just saw a bit of a headline pop up that said um, Chris Fagan was standing down. And I was like, Jesus Christ, obviously, this is a big story. And then I saw, I think, Mark Stevens, obviously, former um, Channel 7 footy reporter. He said that he thought this was the biggest story in footy since the supplement saga, which I think is, in all seriousness, um, probably pretty apt. Um, you don't see this kind of stuff very often um, in football when you've got coaches from multiple clubs standing down, you've got um, other officials like team uh, team presidents and other team officials standing down. Um, it has ramifications all over the league. Um, I think you I think you've summed it up quite well, mate. There's not a lot more to be said in terms of um, how shocking some of this stuff is. Um, obviously, must have been a harrowing experience for these players and um yeah obviously you think of you think of those people and how they how they managed to get through those times you hope that they had the um support networks in place to get them through it they probably weren't able to utilize um support at at their clubs if you've got your your coach and your and your your president um um throwing around this kind of this kind of language um it's tough to get obviously support in your own organization when your organization is the one that's abusing you, if you know what I mean. So yeah, it's, um, 
it's shocking. I mean, there's no other way really to put it. Um, obviously, Fagan and Clarkson have stood, stood down, as I mentioned. Been, um, they've, they've taken themselves away from their clubs. Um, obviously, Clarkson's just signed on at North Melbourne. Heavens to think what's going to happen there for for North Melbourne. That would be that would be a shocking outcome if that was that was already um, about to end. Obviously, Fagan's taking time away as well to work with the um, work with this um, this investigation. So, I mean, it's going to get it's going to be an absolute media storm to see where this goes, um, and hopefully, we get to the bottom of it and there is some sort of healthy resolution because clearly, um, whatever's going on at Hawthorne has not been healthy. Agreed, one hundred percent. And if if you if you watch anything tonight, dear listener, or watch anything when you're listening to this, whenever it is, watch Eddie Betts talk about his experience with racism in the aftermath of this. Talking about how he still doesn't feel like he belongs in Australia. Talk about his racist experience. Kid you not, when he was asked to leave a swimming pool because he made someone else uncomfortable. Just think about that. That happened in the 21st century in Australia. Clearly, clearly, we are a million miles away still from where we need to be in terms of our relationship with First Nations people in this country. And that is absolutely heartbreaking. But also, I just want to say, to all the people criticizing the ABC for this story, saying, oh, why, you know, why aren't there both sides of the story? Or even suggesting that the story is bogus because, you know, oh, they don't have proof, they don't have proof, they don't have proof, you know. Why won't they name the people who are accusing Clarkson, right? Okay, first off, a news organization will not publish something like this unless there is proof and there is evidence that is concrete that it has happened because if they publish something like this and there's no evidence or there is weak or flimsy evidence there is a likelihood that not only could they be sued for defamation but also the reputation of the journalists involved and of the organization they work for and that published it is dragged through the mud so why would they risk it? Number two, why would the Indigenous players make this up? This makes no sense whatsoever. There's no benefit to lying about this and making up these stories. Number three, it's kind of alarming the fact that people have read these allegations and have decided to side with Hawthorne and Alistair Clarkson on this. It's, it's, it's honestly, it's frankly alarming. That's just what I'm saying. And if you are looking at this allegation and at these allegations and you're thinking like, oh, well, you know, what about what about innocent until proven guilty, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's a media circus and all that. You need to reevaluate yourself and you need to check why, self-reflect, why on earth you are not believing these Indigenous players. Just had to put that out there. No, I think it's fair, mate. It's good to... um to uh, utilize your knowledge of the of the journalistic system if you know what I mean so yeah there's a reason this stuff's published that's for sure absolutely now quickly before we go into the grand final mm -hmm. grand final tickets you're going because you're a member however 
17,000 tickets available to both members of Sydney and Geelong, right? Combined, they have about, I think, like 110, 120,000 members, right? Obviously, they all can't go to the footy, obviously, mm -hmm. right? Get that. But still, to have just 34,000 tickets available for members and zero, exactly zero, to quote Rudy Giuliani, <laughs> zero tickets available for general public is ridiculous when the rest of it goes to hoity-toity rich cats who can pay thousands and thousands, who can afford thousands and thousands of dollars to spend money on a football game that they're probably not interested in anyways. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more, mate. Um, very lucky. I know I am as a Swans member and uh, getting lucky, um, getting, a, getting a seat to the game, getting a seat to the party. Um, yeah, most people aren't lucky, um, that lucky. Um, obviously, there'll be uh, obviously the people who are um, lining up for uh, for tickets for like your MCC um, areas. Um, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people doing that kind of thing, and um, there'll be plenty of people um, falling victim to a bit of scalping that always goes on. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's the AFL who gives out so many tickets to to their corporate um, um, avenues, and that's always going to be the case. I can't imagine any sort of um, fan outrage is, um, is going to change that unless we um, really get a cracking off the back of this podcast. So you never know. It's got, <laughs> got a wide reach. Hi, Gil. It's got a wide reach. I'm sure Gil's listening right now. We'll, uh, we say cheerio. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, a, it's always a tough one. It's the same every year. There's so many hard luck stories, fans missing out on tickets. Um, so hopefully we do see some sort of um, greater allocation to – to fans, actual members in the future, but um, for the foreseeable future, I can't see that changing, unfortunately. Now, let's get on to the grand final. First Ooh, off, yeah. teams have been announced. A couple of interesting decisions. The two players, one from each team, uh, winning prelim final team that looked like they were going to miss out, Sam Reed and Max Holmes, have both been named. Yeah. So they are both playing. However, Geelong, while they go through unchanged, there is a change at the Sydney Swans. Logan McDonald will not be playing. And instead, he is replaced by Hayden McLean. Well, this want to get your opinions on that, mate. Plenty to take in. Um, feel very uh, sad for Logan McDonald. Obviously, didn't exactly set the world on fire last week, but he played his part. I felt he um, bobbed up and kicked a goal. Um, very difficult in a in your first in your first prelim final of your career to to take it by the scruff of the neck. He's obviously still got um, plenty of development to come, and he's he has shown great signs. So it's um, disappointing that he um, potentially won't be out there. I'm imagining that if Reed is probably still touch and go because I know he didn't do um, full training today. He, um, he still he participated, but he wasn't a full trainer. So there's obviously still an injury cloud there. So I'm assuming McDonald would likely come back in for Reed if that was the case, but you never know. We could see some sort of maybe a Braden Campbell come in instead. Um, so I wouldn't rule that out either. So yeah, when I saw it, when I first saw it, I was I was surprised. I've seen plenty in Sydney Swans fan circles about um, dropping McDonald. There's there's a lot of uh, people who aren't sure he's he's up to it at this point in time, but I feel like. Um, he is pretty stiff. You're always very stiff when I think he's played the last 
uh, eight games or something and um, McLean hasn't played since round 12 or something. So it's a, it's a massive call. Um, fingers crossed it pays off and McLean can bob up. Maybe they're trying to kind of expose Geelong's um, ruck structure, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Uh, probably not a decision I would have made, but I'm not on the inside. So obviously they think it will help them structure up better against the, against the, the defense and potentially the, um, the ruck midfield um, combo that Geelong have going. So yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. It's a, it's a always, it's always hard the the heartbreak uh, out of a grand final week. And um, who knows, we might still see um, Sam Reed miss out as well, or, or perhaps Max Holmes. Um, mm. So perhaps it's not over yet. So um, fingers crossed that both of those guys can get up. Well, it's interesting that they, that they have both been named because mm. I always think back to the 2019 grand final where Phil Davis was obviously injured in the um, in the prelim final win against Collingwood, and it was it wasn't decided until the couple of hours before the game that he would play. And granted, I wasn't I wasn't there. You know, I, I wasn't part. I wasn't in the rooms. I wasn't part of the team. I I I I don't know. I can only assume. Yeah. Um, the impact that that had, the psychological impact that that had on the team but I can't imagine that it helped like it was probably a massive distraction like when you're in a grand final right you need to get in that mental zone you need to be in the zone mental preparation so much stress you don't need to be stressing about who you're going to be running out with so for me I don't know it's always risky playing playing players who are injured in finals I mean we saw it happen this year with Christian Petrarca in the semi-final and with Dustin Martin in the elimination final and it backfired for both teams. So the fact that Geelong and Sydney have both named players with injury concerns is very interesting. As for Logan McDonald, I think it is majorly stiff. Um, McLean is interesting. I wonder if, if Longmire was worried about him, about the Swans being too tall mm. um, for Geelong. So wanted to go smaller, which I'm, I'm okay with because um, I think we can match them for speed. But yeah, no, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's a really, really tough tough decision. Um, and I feel sorry for Logan. Hopefully the boys get around him. Um, now, on to the grand final itself. We'll start off with the Cats. I want to ask you, if Geelong win, where will it be won for Geelong? I mentioned this earlier, uncontested possession. Um, if you allow them to dominate that, um, you're, you're probably not going to win, to be honest. That's that's as simple as I can put it. Um, if they if Geelong wins um, uncontested possession by a margin, I don't think Sydney can can win this game. So if um, if the Swans don't have the pressure up to a level, um, say 180 or more, I think they're going to really struggle to keep this keep this anywhere near um, um, reaching distance. Um, Geelong have done a really good job of. Um, resting their midfield through throughout the finals and throughout the back half of the year. They've um, obviously given players um, periods of rest along with, you've obviously got your pre-finals by, you've obviously got your, your buy you get for winning your qualifying final. So they're going to come into this game um, cherry ripe. Whereas I'm, I'm assuming with a lot of um, the Sydney boys, especially their midfield, they, they don't bat quite as deep. Um, so it's going to be a case of, if Sydney starts early um, and starts well, like they have done in recent times, especially last week, um, if Geelong can peg them back and run over the top of them. But um, like I mentioned, uncontested possessions 
Um, if Geelong is able to um, take that and uh, dominate it and, and control the game through their back half, like they so often do when they're, when they're on top and well on top, um, I think it's going to be a really tough task for the Swans. Yep, I like it. I like it. It's interesting you mentioned that pressure rating for the Swans. I know I asked about Geelong. I'll get to them in a second. Mm. Um, the Swans have that game against Collingwood was the third time this year that the pressure rate, they had a pressure rating of 200 plus, yep. which is just absolutely insane. Um, as for Geelong, their two big men were really, really quiet. I think they only kicked two or three goals between them um, back in round two. It's entirely dependent on whether or not they can take the Swans' defence by the scruff of the neck. Because if they can, I think Geelong will win and Geelong will win comfortably because that forward line is just so dangerous. It's like like Matthew Lloyd and Scotty Lucas when they're roaming, roaming the forward line for the Bombers, Cameron and Hawkins. It's just such a deadly combination. Um, so, yeah, that, that for me is how well they can be how well they can fire and also how well they can be supported gary rowan has had a great final series so far um doesn't perform well in grand finals often um disappears so it'll be really interesting to see whether or not he can bob up and support support cameron and hawkins stengel's had a very quiet final series it'll be interesting to see if he can bounce back that forward line for geelong i think will hold the key to, to to whether or not they can win as for the swans they can match it with geelong the last two times they've played them, they've won. Yep. They In 2020, back when the Swans finished 16th and Geelong made the grand final, they nearly beat them by a goal, right? That was the final margin. Yep. That was So for me, on paper, Sydney matched Geelong really, really well. I think for speed, for youth, for tackling, for pressure, for everything, it's a really even grand final matchup. Um, so if the Swans can bring the type of pressure that they had for the first three quarters of the prelim final, then uh, I think they are almost, almost a shorter victory. Almost. Um, good to see we're aligned here, mate. Um, if this, yeah, I completely agree. If, if the pressure is up to a level like it was against Collingwood, I think they're going to give themselves a really good shake here. I mentioned earlier, um, when they dish out a pressure rating of 180 plus, they're 10 and one this season. So you're, you're doing you're doing extremely well there. You're doing better than 90% win rate, which is which is uh, borderline insane um, in the AFL. Um, Sydney's the number one pressure team in the competition, so there is reason for for optimism. Um, if you're a Swan supporter, um, if they bring their best football, there's no doubt in my mind that they can give Geelong a very good shake here. Um, Sydney also ranked number one for inside 50 ground ball gets. And um, if they can ramp that pressure up and, and have their um, inside 50 smalls playing a part, there was so many of those goals um, from the weekend where you saw like a, a buddy Franklin crash a pack. Um, and then they, and then the Swans run into an open goal. I believe Robottom on, on one occasion, just um, robed a pack beautifully un, un, uh, unopposed and ran into an open goal and kicked one. There's plenty of cases of that where otherwise it would usually be a, a defensive 50 stoppage or a rebound 50 for, for Collingwood in that case or Geelong on the weekend coming. Um, if the Swans can deliver a pressure similar to they, what they put out last week, um, I think they will they can win this. I like it, mate. I like it. Let's get 
a prediction before the final score before we get who wins. Norm Smith prediction. I'm going with uh, I'm going with Cal Mills. Mm. I feel like he's had an outstanding season. Um, was was rewarded well at the Brownlow the other night. Top ten finish. Um, comfortably Sydney's best um, polling player. Um, I'm thinking. Uh, high 20 disposals, almost maybe 30 even, and, and a goal or two. He's, he's been known to bob up occasionally and can kick some clutch goals and getting real Josh Kennedy 2016 vibes here. So mm. we could see something special from, um, from Callum Mills. He's, uh, he's come a long way since he was um, running around as, the, as a back pocket and a halfback flanker. And we weren't quite sure where he was headed. And he's um, taken his game to, a, to an extraordinary level. And um, credit to him, I think he could... Um, well be Sydney's best chance of a of a of a Norm Smith um on, on Saturday. I like it. I like it. I'm going Luke Parker. I think yeah. our well, maybe along with Mills, but our most uh, consistent midfielder. Yeah. Um he's Mr. Consistent at the Sydney Swans. You always know what you're gonna get with Luke Parker. He had an extremely strong 2016 grand final. Um and I think he'll be he'll be out to play a major role in this year's premiership. You know, we talked about earlier in the final series how his disappointment of being the medical sub in 2012, um, where he came on late and maybe had two or three touches. But I think he'll come out breathing fire on Saturday, and I think he'll grab about 30 odd disposals, kick a goal or two, um, eight eight clearances, and let's say seven tackles. Um, and yeah. let's say 403, no, 404 metres gained. Oh, wow. Okay, I'll be looking out for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is your, that's your multi right there, by the way, gamble responsibly. Um, yeah. Now, just before we get predictions, Cameron Ling will hand over the Premiership Cup if the, if the Cats win, if the Swans win, it'll be Paul Kelly. Uh, what, do you, what do you make of those decisions? I uh, love it for the Swans. Um, love Paul Kelly. Uh, outstanding player. Uh, I can see it. I can see him up on the dais right now, presenting it over. Um, uh, Cameron Ling. <laughs> for some reason, I can't quite see it in my mind. I'm trying to imagine it. So, um, another another tick in the Swans' direction, if you know what I mean. But um, both obviously champion players for their clubs. Um, obviously, a Premiership captain, Cameron Ling. No um, no disservice there. Um, and a great and a great servant to their club. Um, and obviously now in the media. So we see plenty of plenty of lingy these days with some outrageous takes I see him throwing out there. Um, but he um yeah, there's there's no there's no um there's no shock there. They're both um both legends of their respective clubs. I like it. I like it, mate. No, um, yeah, I I think, you know, I there's almost and several Swans fans have pointed this out. There's there's a golden opportunity missed to get someone from the old South Melbourne uh, into early days Sydney vintage, considering it's been 40 years exactly since the Swans have last been in um, in Sydney. But for that matter, you know, Paul Kelly, absolute legend, and Cameron Ling, premiership winning captain with Geelong, three-time premiership player. Um, I, think that's, I think that's the right decision. Now, the most important prediction, who wins by how much and why? Okay, I'm going... I can't not tip the Swans as much as I feel like Geelong's a deserved favourite in this game. Um, I've got Sydney by six. I mentioned if their if their pressure's up at a level um, consistent to what we saw last weekend. You mentioned about if it's at two hundred, they're they're almost um, impossible to beat. Um, if they are able to replicate that that kind of effort, which is 
which is for, which is a which is a real possibility. I mean, it's a grand final. It's gonna be it's gonna be high pressure, and um, I'm really interested to see whether Geelong can handle that because they didn't handle it that well against Collingwood. They probably shouldn't have won that game, and they got over the line behind some individual brilliance. I would have thought by largely Jeremy Cameron, and he's probably my pick. If I had to pick a Norm Smith for them, um, so. If that pressure is right up from Sydney, I feel like Geelong will struggle. Um, they can score Geelong. We, um, you mentioned how potent their their forward line is, and I think that's a that's a great call out because the consistency of the forward lines in this in this two, in this matchup it's clearly in favour of Geelong. Um, so that pressure from Sydney will have to be right up, and they'll have to they'll have to manufacture some goals from some midfielders um, and have a bag kicked by probably one of one one or two of their forwards if they want to if they want to hang with Geelong in terms of scoreboard pressure. So um, that's what it's going to come down to, I think, for the Swans, that pressure. It's got to be up. And if it's not, Geelong can win this comfortably. I like it. I like it. I am also obviously going the Swans. Can't can't tip against them. Um, they were my prediction for Premiers when the final series started. Um, granted, I did tip a Melbourne versus Sydney grand final. That hasn't necessarily worked its way out. Um, I... And tipping the Swans by 11 points, I think it's going to be an epic grand final. I can't see whoever wins this winning by more than four goals. No. So I think it will be really, really close. Um, and at worst, it will be really close until the final five minutes. And then whoever wins will kick away, kick a few goals late. Um, it should be an epic decider. And whoever wins this will be coming off of a massive win streak. It will either be Geelong's 16th win in a row or the Swans' 10th winner in a row. Interesting stat. Uh, this is, I think these are the two longest, it's the longest like win streak, combined win streak that I think two teams have had coming into a grand final. I yeah, I did see that. That's right. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I yeah. think that's the stat. There's also another interesting stat. This is the longest time between a match, a grand final matchup, and the previous time that these two teams that the two grand finalists have played each other in history. Really? Far out. There you go. Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Oh, absolutely. Far out. Haven't played since round two. Jesus so. Christ. Yeah. yeah, it does feel like a lifetime ago when they're all streaming onto the ground of the SCG. So, yep. I think that's about, that's that's bang on, man. Yeah, you're not wrong. Credit uh, credit to, I think his name is Sir Swampy on uh, on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Sir Swamp Thing. He, uh, he, he does check out the, uh, the, classic, the classic stats. That's for sure. The, uh, the swamp master that is for certain. Um, look, mate, thank you very much for joining. Have fun on Saturday. Um, and if you do have a spare ticket, do let me know because um, currently I am free on Saturday. I'm not doing anything. Um, but, yeah, look, thank you. Have fun and, uh, yeah, all the best. Um, hope it's a really good experience and hopefully Geelong supporters don't give you too much grief. Thanks, mate. You're too kind. Um, it's always good to jump on with you. I know you've got to be a soft spot for the Swans and, um I love the I love the good vibes I get from you in terms of, of terms of uh, in terms of Sydney. So fingers crossed we've put enough uh, positive energy into the universe that we can push them over the line, be it by six points, like I said, or eleven points by by yourself. So hopefully one of us gets it right, mate. Fingers crossed. I'll take a one hundred and one point win. I don't care. I just want to win. We'll take it. Yeah, anything, anything at this point, please, please. Absolutely, absolutely. Football gods, if you exist and if you love us, then you'll um, you'll do us a solid on Saturday. But um, dear listener, thank you 
for listening. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful year it's been up to this point. And I hope that the grand final delivers um, on what's been an incredible season, an incredible final series. Wherever you are, I hope you have a wonderful time watching the grand final, whether in Australia or around the world. Um, stay happy and healthy, as Ellen DeGeneres always says. And until then, next week, we'll re review the grand final and talk about the off season. But until then, adios, amigos. Bye.